I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Jason Flom's superpower has been his ability to hear and amplify the voices and stories that he knows the world needs to hear. An extraordinarily accomplished and widely renowned music executive, making his way from the mailroom of Atlantic Records to becoming the storied label's chairman and CEO, serving as well as a former CEO of Virgin Records and Capital Music, responsible for launching superstars including Katy Perry, Kid Rock, Lord, and Greta Van Fleet. Today, Jason Flom is a globally recognized leader in criminal justice reform and is the founder and CEO of Lava Media and Lava for Good Podcasts, a founding board member of The Innocence Project, as well as board member of Families Against Mandatory Minimums, the Legal Action Center, and the Drug Policy Alliance. He has also been a leading advocate for presidential clemency, helping to influence numerous acts of clemency for nonviolent drug offenders granted by Presidents Clinton and Obama. In recognition of his remarkable achievements, Flom has been honored with many personal and professional awards, including the Innocence Project's Award for Freedom and Justice and the ACLU's Torch of Liberty. And in 2021, was featured in the Billboard Change Agents list of leaders who stepped up in a year of social and political turmoil. A leading philanthropist and champion of various causes connected to social justice, a highly acclaimed public speaker, criminal justice expert, author, and activist, Jason Flom has been a passionate advocate for the unheard for over 40 years. Interviewing and raising international awareness for the cases of hundreds of innocent men and women, many facing death sentences, 
With a lineup featuring Pulitzer, Emmy, and Webby award-winning experts, attorneys, activists, and journalists on the front lines of human rights and justice movements. Lava for Good's number one charting lineup of podcasts and the activism they inspire are credited with influencing exonerations, clemencies, pardons, legislation, and reforms nationwide. Here to share more about Lava Media and Lava for Good, their internationally acclaimed and award-winning podcast lineup. The extraordinary work they are doing in the realms of social justice and criminal justice reform, and to discuss the significance of diverse and collective action. Our very special guest, the former chairman and CEO of Atlantic Records, former CEO of Virgin Records, and Capital Music, philanthropist, globally recognized leader in criminal justice reform, criminal justice expert, author, and activist, the founder and CEO of Lava Media and Lava for Good Podcasts, Mr. Jason Flom. I am Maggie B. Nowen, and this is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast with your host, Ramses Ja. All right, Mr. Jason Flom, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. So nice to be here with you. And and of course, with Maggie, Maggie, yes. you know, what a Indeed. name, the best. Indeed. Yes, yes, sir. So um, we've been looking forward to talking to you for some time. Obviously, you're you're making some big moves and uh, we can't wait to get into your story. But first and foremost, around here, we like to start our stories at the beginning. So for our listeners, let's do them a favor. Let's uh, share a bit about yourself, a bit about your upbringing and sort of what led you to the career path that you have been on historically and indeed the one that you're on now. Yeah, great. And I appreciate that because I never tell my story without talking about my dad. He was my hero and my mentor. And mm. I grew up in Manhattan. My dad's a fantastic story in his own right. He was a son of immigrants who spoke no English, mm. grew up borderline homeless, uh, slept on the subway, went to city college at night, worked during the day. And <clears throat> He never graduated college because he went into the army and this was World War II. Uh, he was pretty old when he had when 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 I was born. And anyway, when he got out of the army, he wrote a letter to Harvard Law School and he said, I don't have any money and I don't have a college degree, but I'm the best thing since sliced bread and I'm mm. a GI. And if you let me in, you won't regret it. And they gave him a full ride scholarship and he nice. became this profoundly important lawyer in the 20th century and, you know, always did things in a way that was ethical, that was moral, that was, um, you know, probably ahead of his time. Um, and he told my brother and I, he said, do whatever you want to do, try to be the best at it, but just make the world a better place because there's no other definition of success that matters. And I was like, thanks dad. You know, like I'm going to try to do that. And so I've lived in his shadow and, and tried to, you know, fill at least some part of his footsteps. And, you know, for me, I was very lucky when I failed at being a rock star and I realized I was never going to be the best guitar player, <clears throat> I found my way in the music industry and I became, you know, successful in, in helping other people make it to the stage at Madison Square Garden, where I never was destined to be. Um, and so that was my, you know, career path. And I love the music business and I was very lucky to have some great success in it. But, you know, most importantly, you know, whenever I, whenever I give talks, I always say, you know, this is the story of my crazy journey from wannabe Jimi Hendrix to chairman and CEO of three of the biggest record companies in the world. But more mm -hmm. importantly, from being a drug addicted college dropout to a pioneer in criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. And that all started when I was 32. So 30 years ago. 
I, I saw a story in the newspaper that just pissed me off. And it was a story of a kid who was serving 15 to life for a nonviolent first offense cocaine possession charge in a maximum security prison in New York State. And I couldn't believe what I was reading. I didn't know anything about the drug laws, but I knew that it could have been me because I had had all sorts of issues with substance abuse when I was a, when I was a young man. And, uh, you know, because of the color of my skin and the zip code that I grew up in, I never went to jail. I went to rehab. And this kid had been in for eight years. I'd been sober for almost eight years. He was 32. I was 32. I was like, damn, that could have been me. Mm. And so not knowing anything about the issue or the laws or what to do, I decided I had to figure out a way to get this guy out of prison. And I did. And I had the incredible experience of sitting in the courtroom, holding his mother's hand when he was brought in in shackles, like he was a mass murderer, right? His legs were chained together. His hands were chained to his waist. I was like, this is a nonviolent first offender. Like, what are we doing here? You know? And the judge ruled in our favor. I, I, got, I had gotten this attorney to take the case pro bono. It's an attorney I knew from the music business. Two of my artists, Stone Temple Pilots and Skid Row, that he represented, were getting arrested, like, <laughs> felt like weekly back then. Yeah. And so I had him on speed dial. He took the case pro bono and he won. And, you know, they freed the kid. And I just was like, well, kid, he was the same age as me. And that was my moment. You know, it just hit me so hard. I was like, oh, my God, I have a superpower. And this is the greatest feeling I know. And I can live up to my dad's you know, words and make the world a better place by helping to free people who don't belong in prison. And so I've been on this, this path and this journey and this mission, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm like an atheist with a calling, you know, I've been doing this ever since. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm a big fan of a, a gentleman by the name of um, Brian Stevenson, who uh, has an organization called the equal justice initiative and he does more or less the same thing um he takes on the we'll call it unfair uh, criminal justice system in this country and he has a statement that i think echoes your reality um we have a criminal justice system in this country that treats your treats you better if you are rich and guilty than if you are poor and innocent. And uh, he goes on to make a point saying that wealth rather than culpability uh, shapes many outcomes for, for people on the streets. And so um, kudos to you for uh, not only, you know, being moved by that story, but also taking the initiative and doing something about it. And, and I'm sure you found meaning and purpose in, in your calling. And that's what I want to talk about now. So tell us a bit about your organizations, uh, Lava Media and Lava for Good. Uh, let us know about the missions and the visions and so forth in your own words. Yeah. And I want to just, um, you know, add my <clears throat> sort of um, admiration for Mr. Brian Stevenson. I please, mean, please. he is a hero among heroes and mm -hmm. he has so many incredible things to, to offer um, and, and his list of accomplishments are uh, just extraordinary and I love what he says when he says I believe everybody's better than the worst thing they've ever done mm, yeah and I think that's something that I hope our audience you know really takes in because it, everyone can think back to the worst thing they've ever done and go sure. man what if that was the day yeah, was, that was your day that the criminal legal system caught up with you. And then forever we looked at you and went, oh, yeah, you're a shoplifter or you're this or you're that or you're a 
guy who got in a fight or a person who got in a fight in a bar, whatever the thing it is that you're most, you know, their least proud moment. Mm -hmm. You know, we have so many thousands of laws in this country that we could, you know, it could have been your outcome could have been different unless you're, I mean, there's very few people have never done anything wrong. So I don't know, maybe there's somebody listening who's like, yeah, I've never done anything wrong in my life. I don't think so anyway, but, um, but back to your question. So for me, you know, as I got deeper and deeper into this work, um, I learned about an organization called families against mandatory minimums, um, now called FAMM. I encourage everyone to look up FAMM.org. They're doing extraordinary work eliminating mandatory sentences, which are an insane, uniquely American creation that locked people up for decades and decades um, for crimes that maybe shouldn't even be crimes in the first place um, or crimes that might be treated uh, much more humanely. And then that led me to the Innocence Project, where I became the founding board member there. So I was a, the first board member at both of those incredible organizations. And I'm not the founder of the Innocence Project. That's Barry Sheck and Peter Newfeld. By any means, I'm not the founder, but I'll be clear about that. But I have been there for, oh, I don't know, 27 years or something like that. And so to lead into your question, what happened for me was that as I got be around these extraordinary human beings, these people who are actually innocent of crimes that they were convicted of. Mm -hmm. Many of whom I visited in prison or recorded podcasts with in prison. Of course, I have my show Wrongful Conviction on iHeart, um, which has been downloaded now. Um, well, we're, we're actually just about to hit 50 million next week total downloads. So I'm very nice. excited, our streams. Um, but uh, we'll be celebrating that, of course. But the... Um, the experience of being around these incredible human beings who almost to a person have no bitterness in spite of the fact that they have every right to be bitter about, because they've been dealt the worst hand of cards you could possibly have, right? I don't know what could be worse. Most people can't imagine anything worse than being convicted of a crime you didn't commit and sentenced to death. Again, we're the only Western country that has the death penalty. We still have it generations after every other Western country has abolished it. And many places in the rest of the world, Sierra Leone just abolished it, abolished it. <laughs> what the hell are we doing? Right. So um, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, Sierra Leone. But um, so my thought was with the podcast when, when you know, we created it back in 2016, I wanted to to create a platform for the people who have these lived experiences, these incredible souls who look at the future, you know, and not the past, who, who have this almost otherworldly grace about them, right? In spite of the fact that they've been, like I said, they've been sentenced to these insane, <clears throat> to the, they've been sentenced to spend decades or the rest of their life or sentenced to death for crimes they didn't commit. Some of them have already been released because they've been proven innocent. Other ones are still fighting to prove their innocence, but we know they're innocent because we have evidence. And I thought if we can share these stories with a large group of people, instead of me just talking about it to people one at a time or giving speeches, then we have an opportunity to change hearts and minds and, mm -hmm. and hopefully be able to free some of the people whose stories we're telling because, let's face it, pressure breaks pipes. You guys know that. Mm -hmm. And it's probably part of the reason why you're doing this as well. And... um and maybe influence policies because at the end of the day, people respond to individual stories, right? We can sit here and rattle off statistics all day long, right? I mean, 
I don't think most people know that we incarcerate black people in America at a rate that is much higher than South Africa during apartheid per capita. Like, you know, you look at those things and it sounds, you're like, wow, that sounds great. That's crazy. But even still, when you hear the individual human story of Billy Allen, right, or so many of the other extraordinary people that we've interviewed, that I've interviewed and, and our guest hosts have interviewed, it really does, I hope, help to roll back this knee-jerk reaction that too many people have and that, you know, unfortunately, some of the biggest, most popular television shows, the crime shows, you know which ones I'm talking about, have led people down this path of thinking, well, the cops are, you know, doing their jobs and doing a fantastic job catching the bad guys. The prosecutors are doing whatever they need to do to make sure these people get the penalties that they deserve. The bad guys going to prison. And we're all safe and can sleep at night. And, you know, I want to restore the principles of innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I can't do it myself, and the podcast is not going to do it by itself. But I want to be a part of a movement that restores the bedrock principles of innocent until proven guilty and beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think by virtue of the fact that we've had so many people listen to our shows, it's inevitable, I'm a statistical person, that today in a courtroom somewhere in America, in a criminal trial, there's a juror who's a fan of the show, right? Who's heard multiple episodes, who's going to be in that jury room and is going to go, no, no, I'm not buying this because I've, I've heard and seen this too many times on the Wrongful Conviction podcast. And I'm not falling for it just because... Somebody is saying this, that, the other thing. It, it, I'm not convinced. And if you're not convinced, you can't vote. You can't vote guilty. It's beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt. doubt. Yes. And, and yet we have these case after case. When you listen to our show, and I'm sure you've probably heard some where you sit there and go, reasonable doubt. It's an unreasonable doubt. I mean, this person is clearly innocent. And yet there they are sitting as we're sitting here now having this conversation you know, 1245 on a Wednesday afternoon, these people are sitting in a prison cell, you know, a basic dungeon, you know, suffering every minute in draconian conditions that would make anyone else in, in the Western world and probably many Americans, if they were aware of it, feel really pretty sick mm-hmm. if they knew. Sure, sure. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-I-N. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, 
and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. We are here today with the former chairman and CEO of Atlantic Records, former CEO of Virgin Records and Capital Music, philanthropist, globally recognized leader in criminal justice reform, criminal justice expert, author, and activist, the founder and CEO of Lava Media and Lava for Good Podcasts, Mr. Jason Flom, learning about Lava Media and Lava for Good, their internationally acclaimed and award-winning podcast lineup, the extraordinary work they are doing in the realms of social justice and criminal justice reform, and discussing the significance of diverse and collective action in these arenas. And, you know, I'll, I'll add to that, that the ripple effect of that is that the families of these folks suffer as a result of their absence um, and their imprisonment. And then the communities suffer because these things tend to happen in mass when it comes to black black and brown communities. And so um, the ripple effect goes well beyond that individual's suffering. And that's something that a lot of people um, may not consider. Uh, As you mentioned, you know, in this culture, uh, actually, I did a study on my show. Um, I did some research. I have a radio show as well called Civic Cipher. I did some research into what's called Copaganda. And uh, the origins of Copaganda comes from a show called Dragnet, where in exchange for real police stories, because that was the the, um, selling point of that show, in exchange for those real police stories, the police were able to have like final approval over their scripts, which always uh, saw that the police were the good guys, of course, um, which is fine if if it's true. And I believe most of the time it might be. But uh, critically, um, how the police were seen as uh, never making mistakes um, and and things like this um, that uh, started to cultivate 
a relationship between Hollywood and police stories. And that had an influence, a profound influence on the American public and the viewing public because people tended to adopt this attitude that police were always right and that the bad guys were always lying or trying to weasel their way out of the consequences. And so that's what created a need for efforts like yours. Couple that with the war on drugs. This is, this is just my interpretation of the studies I've done. Couple that with the war on drugs where we indeed criminalized drug use rather than making it a health issue. Like, as you mentioned earlier, you were able to go to rehab, um, but black and brown people were sent to uh, oftentimes the vast majority of the time to prison, right? Uh-huh. Or what is by all accounts, a health issue. Um, then you end up with this sort of runaway quote unquote criminal activity that largely affects black and brown communities where there's an economic institution now introduced so people can make money. And then there's a way to escape, you know, the, uh, uh, all of the things that, uh, create your reality that might be, might have a, a significant impact on your mental health. And so drug use tends to go up when, you know, there's nothing to do. There's no mobility, social mobility or economic mobility, so forth. And this is true across human beings and indeed other mammals, because this was proven in an experiment with rats. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of research with this stuff. So again, a very meaningful conversation to have with a person like you who's actually on the ground fighting for this. You know, I sit behind a microphone and I try to share with the listeners, but my hat's off to you and to, you know, it's very rare that I get to talk to someone who has actually taken this information and been able to implement it in a real way in real people's lives. Um, and so this is, this is something that's very meaningful for me. Now, let's make sure that we get you back on the microphone before I take up all your time. Uh, no, this I do, Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, you just dropped a lot of knowledge in one uh, little um, uh, rant, which I appreciate. And and I I think there's so much good that maybe people can rewind and just listen to what you just said again, because I'm going to when I listen to this episode. But I want to touch on a couple of the points you just brought please, up. Please, Co- yes. Copaganda. We got to talk about copaganda. Mm-hmm. It's such an important concept. But also the, you know, the war on drugs, you know, we have a podcast out now called the war on drugs that we did in conjunction with the stand together foundation, again, distributed by iHeart, our, our great partners at iHeart. And I learned so much listening to the war on drugs. I don't host that show. I just exactly produced it. And one of the things I learned, which I thought was fascinating, right. And talks, and it, it goes to a point that I, I really want to hammer on. Right. And my point I'm going to get to is that what causes crime, this is, this is my theory, right? And I believe it, it, I don't think there's a counter theory that makes any sense. I've never heard one. What causes crime is desperation. Mm-hmm. And what prevents crime is hope. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that might sound a little airy-fairy, but it's not. The truth is that people, no one's born wanting to commit crimes. And desperation, people say, well, what about mental illness? I consider that a sub category of desperation right people get to a place where they act out in a certain way because of things in their life that have led them to that point i'm not saying that all criminal behavior is excusable or yeah i think there's some people that you know we have to figure out what to do with i think we could safely release at least 80 percent of the people in prison in america today and have no increase in crime and and actually a benefit 
to public safety. But I, but I'm not a pure abolitionist. I don't think that we could just allow everyone to go free because I think there are some people that are just so prone to violence that society just does have to be protected from them. But, it, but I think it's, it's, you know, it's less than 20%. I'm just being generous and saying we could release eight. I mean, I'm being, I'm being circumspect and saying we could release 80%. But in the war on drugs, you referenced the rat experiment. And I mm. think there's, an, there's, I was shocked to learn about the rat experiment because we all heard about it growing up, right? Mm-hmm. There's the famous experiment that was done a hundred years ago where, and again, this is in the war on drugs podcast. So I encourage people to listen to it. There's so many other great tidbits in there, but the war on drugs podcast. So I'm sorry. So the the experiment with the rats. Mm -hmm. So they famously took one rat after another and put it in a cage under bright lights. And in the, in the cage was nothing except for two spigots. One had water and one had water that was laced with heroin and cocaine. Mm -hmm. And then they watched and they observed and they found that every rat, within two weeks was dead of an overdose. They just kept hitting the cocaine spigot until they eventually overdosed and died. And the conclusion that was drawn was, well, if you let people have access to drugs, they're going to overdose and die. So 50 years later or so, a guy comes along and goes, let me get this straight. You idiots took rats and put them in a cage by themselves under bright lights with nothing to do all day. Rats are social animals. They need stuff, right? <laughs> they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're like humans in that sense, right? They need sure. certain things to keep them okay. They need other rats. They need stuff to climb on, to, mm-hmm. you know, things to do, Apparatus, right? They need things yeah. to do, right? They need rat stuff to do. And if you take all of that away, you're driving that rat crazy. And then you're wondering why it's doing Drugs, right? Mm -hmm. Why it's choosing drugs. Well, let's try this experiment again. And he created what he called Rat Park. So he recreated the experiment, but this time the rats had other rats to play with. And they had, uh, you know, different things to stimulate them in in different ways, right? I don't know if they were colorful things and maybe a little hill to climb on or like whatever was in there, right? And lo and behold, not one of these rats, they all tried the the water that was laced with the drug, but none of them went back to it, right? None of them overdosed. They preferred the regular water because they were okay. Mm -hmm. And that proved in in the rat, you know, kingdom that they're not, they're kind of like us, right? We don't, yeah, we like to do drugs recreationally and some people get addicted to them for various reasons, but a lot of people have no real problem. They just do drugs and it's okay. You know, like drugs are not all drugs are bad and not everything, you know? And so it's like our approach to the war on drugs, as we say in the podcast, the war on drugs is completely wrong. It's now a hundred years. It's a trillion dollars, right? We've tried. And the fact is that drugs are more readily available and cheaper. And there are more overdose deaths now than ever in the history of this entire failed social policy disaster. So, that ain't that ain't the way to go. Not if you care about public safety. Now, but speaking of public safety, one more thing on this rant is that let us not forget that when we when we go along with this program that we've been spoon fed since Dragnet and John Oliver did that fantastic episode on law and order. I encourage people to watch that. And I know the head of one of the innocence projects around the country told me that they watch one of these major crime shows. I'll let you guys figure out which one I'm talking about. They they have a drinking game and they, this is one of the local innocence projects around the country. 
Mm. (laughs) Their drinking game is every time there's a constitutional violation in the show, they take a shot. And by the first commercial break, everyone's out cold. You know what I mean? It's like, so that's one thing, but I want to get back to copaganda. Sure. So glad you referenced that. And you're really, you're really well-versed on this stuff, which is, which is, you know, fantastic. You're a real um, student of this. And that gives me, you know, hope for our future, our collective future to know that people like you out there are really so, so, you know, just sort of steeped in, in the real knowledge about this stuff. Yes, sir. So propaganda. It sounds like a funny word. It's not right. It's propaganda is exactly as you described it. And the person who I think is really doing the most important work in informing the public about this propaganda, which pervades every news outlet, every single one. It's not just the TV shows. It's every newspaper, every every news site, mm-hmm. right? The New York Times, everywhere. Yeah. Local and TV. the guy I'm talking about, local TV all over the place, is Alec Karkatsanis. Do you know the you know name? This is this is new for me, so please. Okay, so Alec A L E C, and his last name is it's a tongue twister, but it's K A R A K A T S A N I S. Alec Karkatsanis. I talk about him all the time. I think that he is arguably the most important figure in the entire world of criminal legal reform. He and his organization, Civil Rights Corps, have um, been the driving force behind bail reform. Uh, He has sued and won. He's won lawsuits in cities and counties all over the country, including as recently as about a week ago in in, in L.A., where they uh, a court ruled in a very strong ruling that cash bail is unconstitutional. Mm. And it is. Sure. It's a violation of two amendments. It's the 14th and either the 6th or the 8th. I can't remember. Equal protection and due process, right? You can't have a system where two different people have exactly the same charge, but one goes home and one goes to jail just because of their wealth status. It does it's unconstitutional. And so he's one in conserve, the most conservative places in the country, and he's one in some, you know, not conservative places. I don't believe there are very liberal places left in this country, but anyway. So his work um, has resulted in incredible outcomes where it's not even tens of thousands anymore. It's just hundreds of thousands of people have been spared the horrors of going to jail just because they're poor while they await trial for a crime they may or may not have committed. And we know that percentage of innocent people in prison in America is probably probably around 10%. Mm-hmm. But the percentage of innocent people in jail is much, much higher. Because think about it, they haven't even gone to trial yet. We don't, they've never even been given it. It's just somebody who got arrested. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's 25%, maybe it's more, I don't know. But these and jails, people forget, are not only more dangerous and violent in every conceivable way than even some of the worst maximum security prisons in America, they're also places where um you are you are stuck uh um oh i'm starting to say that there are also places where the cost of keeping people there who haven't been convicted of anything is even higher than it is in jails and prisons around the country i just saw that average price to keep someone in jail in prison i'm sorry in america is sixty two thousand dollars a year but in rikers island sixty two thousand you can send them to harvard for that right but in rikers island it costs five hundred and sixty five thousand dollars a year to keep someone locked up in rikers island about three or four miles from where i'm at right now wow 
you could think about what you could do with that. You could put them in the Ritz Carlton in a suite with room service and parking, whatever. Like it's nuts. That's like, I don't even do the math of how much that is a day. That's a lot. That's $1,500 a day, whatever it is. It's insane to keep somebody at Rikers Island where 21 people were murdered or died, died. They didn't die of natural causes in Rikers Island last year. So, so I encourage everyone to subscribe. There's something called Alex Copaganda Newsletter. It's A-L-E-C apostrophe S, Copaganda Newsletter. Subscribe to that. It's free. And you will learn stuff that will absolutely blow your mind. Um, and I think the more we can spread the messages that Alec is putting out there, and before we, before we part today, and I, I've got all the time in the world for you, but, but I want to make sure I read a paragraph from his a, a seminal work. Um, I read it on Rogan. I'll read it everywhere I go because it's so important that people understand what's really going on. And Alec is speaking the truth. Sure. Sure. We'll make sure we do that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I wanted to touch on something else before we move on from here. Uh, you mentioned how the number of innocent people might actually be higher. Uh, well, 10% is an astounding number of people to be imprisoned uh, wrongfully, but the number might be higher for those in jail. And um, I want to mention that based on the way the criminal justice system works in this country, uh, there are people who will admit to committing a crime that they didn't actually commit because that's actually an easier path to their freedom than staying and fighting their case. And that has a disproportionate impact on people who have less wealth because of the fact that being incarcerated or being locked up uh, while awaiting you know, trial puts you in a weaker position in terms of fighting your case. So for many folks, they're not in the strongest position to fight a case. So accepting a plea that may affect um, their uh, employment opportunities and their housing opportunities and their mobility throughout society, just so that they can get out of uh, those conditions, um, that affects countless lives and often those are disproportionately black and brown folks as well and so i want to make sure that that's stated too while we're here and before we move on this concludes part one of our three-part conversation with former chairman and ceo of atlantic records former ceo of virgin records and capital music philanthropist, globally recognized leader in criminal justice reform, criminal justice expert, author, and activist, the founder and CEO of Lava Media and Lava for Good podcasts, the one and only, our incredibly special guest, Mr. Jason Flom. Check back in with us tomorrow for part two with your host, Ramses Jaw, right here on the Black Information Network daily podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. 
That's BetterHELP.com. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.